welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you today. I want to continue a series of messages that we started a few weeks ago called The School of Prayer. And uh, in this series of messages, we've been talking about prayer, and, and, and we have been looking at the process of prayer like this, uh, recognizing that when we first become believers, we're like preschoolers. And, and so we learn to pray like preschoolers, and, and we grow in our relationship with God, and hopefully your prayer life has grown as well. Now, one of the problems that I've seen often as a pastor is that many of you have grown in the number of years that you have known God, but you've not grown spiritually. Your prayer life's the same as it was. And so what we are discovering is that as we grow into maturity as a believer, our prayers change along the way. Now what we learn in preschool, we don't forget when we get in elementary school, we build on that and we continue to build on that as we move forward. And so we talked about preschool prayers, and we talked about the fact that, that in preschool, the two most important things, these are the basics. We need to know who he is and who we are. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father means I, I want to know who he is, but it also tells me who I am. You see, who you understand God to be changes everything with regard to the way you pray. If you believe that God is a loving, kind, gracious, good father, then you're going to come to him with your needs and concerns. If you think he is aloof and not really connected to the issues of life, then, then you're going to have an attitude that says, well, I'm not going to bother God with some of the things I struggle with. He's busy running the universe. But if you believe he is your father, well, I can come to him with all of my needs and crawl up in his lap and tell him what I'm thinking and, and, and how I feel about the challenges that I'm facing. Well, who he is and who you are matter. And so we learned that early on. And then we get into elementary school. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who died in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we walk through that together right on into middle school as Jesus teaches us how to pray. Into high school, we talked about warfare prayer because life gets hard in college we continue the warfare as we learned last time how to pray down strongholds where satan gets a grip in our life and today i want to talk to you about another level of maturity in our prayer where we begin to pray for others because you know what i've discovered the stronger your relationship with God, the less you pray for yourself and the more you pray for others. As we grow in our relationship with God, we grow in our concern and our need to pray. And, and it may be that, that as we mature in our faith, we come to understand what Jesus said. Remember when he, when he was in the Sermon on the Mount teaching on prayer, before he got to that prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, he said this, he said, your heavenly father knows what your needs are before you ever ask. And we discovered together that maybe the reason Jesus said that is so that he understood that we have a tendency to really focus on what our needs are. And Jesus says, hey, let me just tell you, before we get to, to this method of prayer I'm going to teach you, I already know what your problems are, so, so it's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. 
I know your needs before, and the longer I walk with God, the more I realize he does know my needs, and he's faithful to meet those needs. And, and the longer I walk with him, the more I mature. Sometimes I just trust him to meet my needs. I don't have to talk to him about everything, but I find myself praying for others more and more and more. It's what, what I like to refer to as the triangle of prayer. In that in that lesson that Jesus teaches the disciples when they said to him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray like that? Remember Jesus prayed, and, and after he finished, they said, teach us how to pray like that. We know how to pray, but boy, we don't pray like that. I wanna know how to pray like that. And Jesus teaches them, and then he offers that parable of the, uh, of the person who has his friend come at the middle of the night, and, and he doesn't have any bread to offer him, so he gets up in the middle of the night, and he goes to his neighbor, and he wakes him up to get some bread. And, and in that, he presents what I refer to as the triangle of prayer. The triangle of prayer is simply this. It is when one person goes to another person to ask for bread for yet another person. It's when one person sees a need in another person's life and goes to God on behalf of that person. And so it creates a triangle of prayer. Now, since it's the 4th of July, I thought what better way to teach you the principles of the triangle of prayer than by teaching you how to pray for our nation. How do we as believers pray for our country? Because I, I really have come to believe that, that many of us fail to understand how to do that. Now, I think one of the best places we can go to discover that is to look at a prayer that, that you might not have paid much attention to. But it is a prayer prayed by Daniel for his nation. Now, most of you remember Daniel in the Old Testament. He was taken captive by Babylon when he was just a kid. And, and, and you kind of remember the story of Daniel because we are most familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But we are now at a place in his life when Daniel is in his 80s. He has spent the majority of his life in bondage as a slave in Babylon. But in his 80s, he comes to confront a message, a prophecy that was given to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was given a prophecy that the years that Israel was to be in bondage was about 70 years. And Daniel didn't know that. And as he begins to calculate, he's figuring out, you know what? We've almost been in bondage for 70 years. So we're about to be set free. But rather than being excited about being set free and returning to Jerusalem, Daniel began to recognize as he looked around, our people aren't ready to go back. The whole concept of going back to Jerusalem is, is synonymous with a return to God. And you know what Daniel said? When I look around, what I realize is that our people have adopted the ways of Babylon. We eat Babylonian food. We practice Babylonian worship. We, we, we have yielded to the lifestyle of the pagans of Babylon. In fact, the children of God look more like Babylonians than they do the people of God. We're not ready to go back. We look just like those who have captured us. And his heart begins to break for his nation. And he offers a prayer, and it's recorded in Daniel chapter 9. Now, 
after this prayer and as a result of this prayer, God answers Daniel and gives him visions. And so many times we're so excited about the visions of Daniel and there's so much written and spoken about that, that we miss the prayer at the very beginning. We just kind of jump over that to get to the vision that Daniel received. But I want you to notice the prayer because there are four things that Daniel prays for specifically that I think teach us how we are to pray for our nation as well. So if you have your Bible, look at Daniel chapter 9, and let's begin reading with verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, Old Testament, begin with verse 1. In fact, this might be one of the most powerful prayers recorded in the Old Testament. I like what John MacArthur says. He said, this, is, this prayer is like the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. You've got the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. This is the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps your covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophet, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is to this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, and to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servant, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath, which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus we have confirmed his words which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring us great calamity for under the whole heavens there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. 
The Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is to this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sin and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all who are around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his supplication. For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation, the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on the account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Now folks, that is a prayer. That's the prayer of a righteous, mature believer. I, 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 one reading won't do it justice. But he doesn't say, God bless Judah. He doesn't say, God, give us wisdom and knowledge to know how to govern ourselves. No, his prayer is deeper than that. And can I tell you, I believe that ours must be also. There's a great word for us here because our nation is in trouble as well. We suffer problems of birthdays, challenges and decisions that we've made in our youth and even continue to make in our latter years that plague us as a people who need God. Well, with that in mind, we can learn how to pray for our nation. There are four things that he does in the text before us. Do you notice though, that he begins by focusing on God. He, he comes back to his preschool prayer. He doesn't forget what he learned in the very beginning, who God is and who I am, and that's where he starts. And isn't that what Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer? When we pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, focus on him. You need to know who you're talking to. You need to have a clear picture in your mind of who God is. And if you see him as a righteous and holy God, it's gonna change the way you see things around you. You understand who he is. It's gonna change the way you pray. And the focus of his prayer is on God. Beginning with verse four, he, 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 he doesn't stop there though. Throughout the entire prayer, his focus is on God and his righteousness and, and, and his goodness in judging his people. He begins in that one prayer by saying, as he offers this prayer, alas, 
oh Lord, the great and awesome God. You're the one that keeps covenants and loving kindness for those who love him and keep your commandments. He begins by focusing who on who God is. The, the way that we began to pray for our nation is to focus on God. Who is this God that we serve? We say as he taught us, hallowed be your name, precious, glorious, wonderful. You are a great and mighty God. Nothing is too big for you. Nothing is, is too hard for you. Nothing is beyond the challenges that we face today. It is easy for us to become so overwhelmed, we feel as if we have no hope and there is no way out of the challenges we face. And we only have that attitude when we fail to see who he is. He begins his prayer by focusing on God and he never wanders far away from the focus. Even as he begins to confess the sin of the nation, he returns to an understanding of the focus. The second thing that he does is this. He embraces the sin of his nation. It's amazing to me is that Daniel is described in Scripture as a righteous man. He's one of the rare characters of the Bible where nothing in all God's word is spoken against him. He's a righteous man. He didn't cause the problems that his nation was facing. He wasn't the reason that things were so miserable for them. But yet in the text before us, he embraces the sin of his nation 32 times. In this prayer, he says, we have sinned. We have not listened. We, us, our. And you know what's amazing? He refuses to blame everybody else for the problems that he has. One of the things that I notice today is that we have a tendency to blame others for the problems that we have as a nation. In fact, you know what I've discovered? I think the reason he doesn't blame anybody else is because he, he sees something that we fail to recognize. What Daniel sees is that the problems facing his nation are spiritual. You see, some of you think that the problems we face in America are political. And, and, and if, if, if we face political problems, then it's easy to blame the Democrats for everything that's going on. And if we have political problems, then it's easy to blame the Republicans. The problems with our nation is those Democrats. If we could just get them to think the way we think and vote the way we vote and, and understand the principles, it's the Democrats, and they're the problem. And if you listen to some folks, they will tell you that the problem with America today is Democrat. And if you talk to the Democrats, you know, they say, it's the Republicans. We can't even work together in Congress because the Republicans won't work with us and the Democrats won't work with us. You guys hold a line and you guys hold a line. And the problem in our country today is the Democrats and the problem in our country today is Republicans. And if you think that the problems of our nation are the result of politics, then you have a tendency to blame everybody else. But I want you to understand something. God doesn't take sides. God's not Democrat nor Republican. When God steps on the scene, he doesn't take sides, he takes over. And we as the children of God have got to come to the place where we recognize the problems in our nation are not political. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be involved. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have a, a thought with regard to that, but, but for the children of God, you and I have an understanding the world does not. We know that a Republican's not going to fix our problems. 
We know a Democrat's not going to fix our problems. We know that the answer is not in who we elect. We know that God's the answer to our problem. If you think it's politics, well, you blame the Democrats and Republicans. Some people believe that the problem with our nation today is an ideological problem. And as a result of that, it's the liberals' fault. Or it's the conservatives' fault. It's the way we see things. You see, for, for many people, we have a tendency to say it, 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 liberals are just so dumb. I mean, how is it that they are so dumb? They can't get it. They can't see. It's so simple. It's so easy. And what I've recognized is a lot of times conservatives say of liberals, you guys are just so dumb you can't get it. And liberals say, well, the problem with you guys as conservatives, you're just mean. And you're so mean. I want to tell you something. You're so mean, I don't even want to hear your ideas because you're bad. And if you're bad, your ideas are bad. So I don't want to listen to your ideas either. Because you think the problems are ideological, many of you say, you know, the problem with America today is we are liberal leaning. And some of you are saying we need to come back to the other side. Or some are saying, no, I hope we end up liberal leaning because we have been moving in a conservative, mean direction for so long. We need to come back. You and I need to understand, if you believe the problems are political, you're going to pray that your politician wins. Because you think if he wins, everything's going to be great. If you think the problem with America is ideological, then you're praying that the conservative mindset wins out or the liberal mindset wins out, and you're blaming. Some people I've discovered in America believe that the problem's political or ideological. Some believe it's, it, it's an economic problem. The problem is really between capitalism and socialism. We're a capitalist nation. That's why we're so good at what we do. If we continue in this direction with, with a smaller government and, and, and more power to the people and the capitalist system works the way it's supposed to work, then there's an American dream. And then there are others that are saying, well, I've never experienced the American dream and I don't know what you're talking about and I'm not convinced that capitalism works for the little guy. It seems to work for the big guy. So I believe that the government needs to step in and regulate in these ways and socialism is the answer. And the world's fighting today. America's fighting today political battles and ideological battles and economic battles. And we are reminded by Daniel that he comes along and says, Guys, I'm going to tell you something. The problem with our nation is spiritual, it's a spiritual problem. We've turned our back on God and his principles and his plan and his purpose. And every decision we need to make needs to be grounded in Scripture. And, and, and others will never know this, but we, we know this. We have a spiritual problem. We've turned our back on God. We've disregarded his word. We have rejected his truth. And like Judah, we've become comfortable in Babylon. And the problem with America is that Christians look just like everybody else. The church, in the most recent election, the church takes up the banner of the world and begins to fight political battles as if the Republican or Democrat side 
how we win. Listen, folks, we've, if, if we don't understand this spiritual battle, no one will, and, and we've all lost. The truth is, Daniel says, God, the problem with our nation is we've turned our back on you. And, and he doesn't say, you turned your back. He said, we. I own it. God, our nation has rejected you. We are wicked. We have walked in a path, and you have taught us in your word what will happen to us if we walk that path. The very challenges that we face today are because we have turned our back on you. And he says this, you are a righteous God, and you are right to judge us because we have failed and we have messed up. It's not what we've done. He owns the issue. We have sinned. When's the last time you prayed for your nation and said, God, we have sinned. We've rejected your word. We've turned our back on your truth. We have walked a path that's going to lead to utter destruction. My heart breaks because I'm one of them, God. I'm not standing here pointing my finger, blaming other people, no. If you're gonna pray the triangle prayer, you gotta own it. Do you remember the little story Jesus gives of the guy who comes in the middle of the night and it was customary to feed them, to give them bread, and the guy has no bread, so he goes and wakes up his neighbor. Why does he do that? It's not his problem. He's not hungry but he embraces the hunger of his friend to go to bat to get what he needs. And that's exactly what Daniel does here. He embraces the sin of his people and says, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, I'm, I, I'm of the nation of Judah. I've got the problem. So what does he do next? Well, he embraces the sins of the nation and then he asks for God's mercy. Daniel knew that Judah deserved what it was getting. He, he never sees himself as a victim. He never says, oh, life has been hard and the world has been mean to Judah and we should never have been taken captives to start with. You know what he says? God, you are righteous and you judge sin and we're getting what we deserve. Everything we are experiencing, we asked for it when we turned our back on you. When we shoved you out of every part of our lives, guess what? We get to live life without you. And this is what it looks like. God, we deserve everything we are getting. In, in verse five, he lists five different verbs to describe the nation's sin against God. He says this, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly we have rebelled we have turned aside and down in verse 14 he says and because of our sin you are justified to judge us he returns to an understanding of who god is god is just he's not going to turn his back on our sin he is a righteous god who punishes sin there are consequences that's the reason god tells us to live 
according to his principles. Do you understand that the Bible is not just a bunch of rules of not, you know, don't do this and don't do that because God wants you to be miserable. God is simply saying, if you live by the principles I give you, you will be successful in life. Don't do that. If you continue to choose to walk against the principles that I offer, then you're going to suffer the consequences, and I love you. I don't want you to walk that path. So Daniel says, God, you're justified in judging us. He never embraces an attitude that God owes him something. It's almost as if today we've embraced an attitude that God owes us. Daniel realistically looks and says, you don't owe us anything, God. We're getting exactly what we deserve. We're headed to a train wreck because we're, because we're on a track that runs into a brick wall. There's no avoiding this unless we stop and turn and come back. And so he asked God for the only thing that is needed. God, be merciful to your people. We messed up. We missed you. You are rich in forgiveness. Your loving kindness never ends. So when you remember us, would you remember your mercy? God, I understand you've got to judge sin because you are a righteous God, but would you in your judgment remember mercy? Listen, this is the prayer we need to be praying for our nation. God, be merciful to us. We've turned our back on you. We walked away from you with arrogance and pride. And we as your people are complicit. Be merciful. God, forgive us. God, restore us. The, the answer to the problems that we are facing today is to repent. And who's going to do that but God's people? We're the only ones that see it. We're the only ones that understand it. We're the only ones that get it. And because of the relationship we have with God, we as God's people in this nation must come before the Father and say, God, we repent. We own it. We don't make excuse for it. We're not blaming somebody else for it. We're not pointing our finger anywhere else. We are saying, God, be merciful to us, the sinner. Forgive us. Restore us to right fellowship. And then the final thing that he does is this. The final part of his prayer that I think is important for us is that it's connected to motivation. He asks that God forgives. So the question that I would have for you is why? Why do you ask God to bless America? So that your life can be better? God, would you fix the problem so, you, so it's better for you? God, would you put that person in the White House? Why? So your, your household looks better. You know what's interesting about Daniel is I don't think he prays this prayer because he is hopeful that this bondage is finally going to be over and I can return to home in Jerusalem 
and buy an RV and retire. You know what he does? He, he does something that, that, that demonstrates a maturity that I pray is present in your life. He said, God, I'm asking you to be merciful this nation. I'm asking you to work for your glory, not mine. This isn't about it being better for me, it's about your name. God, I pray that you'll restore your nation so that, so that your name will be great. God, I pray that you will offer mercy and forgiveness so that once again the nation of Israel can be established and, and your kingdom there in Jerusalem and we can become the light that shines to the world so the gospel can go forth. Father, I pray that you do this for your glory and for your honor. He realized that, that the nation of Judah had become a byword to other nations. He realized that other people were looking, maybe as they might be looking at America saying, and, and, and that's a Christian nation? And he says, you know what, God, we have become so much like the world that we've lost our testimony. And people have come to one of two conclusions when they look at us. Either you have abandoned us or you're not strong enough. So God, would you work in our nation for your glory? And his prayer was for forgiveness, but not so that the people would feel better or that their life would be better, but that their testimony would glorify God. I've discovered that often my prayers reflect the problem because they're selfish. I kind of want my best life now. There was a book written called Your Best Life Now in 2004. Sold over 80 million copies because we're all concerned about our best life now. But Daniel says, it isn't about me, God, it's about you. I want you to be glorified. I want you to be honored. You know, it, it, you know I've, I'm, I'm still working through this, folks, and I'm still thinking through it, but I was thinking earlier today, you know, in America, it's almost like when we think political problems, it's amazing we come to an election and some are praying that a Republican wins and some are praying that a Democrat wins. So what's God gonna do? Who's right? It's kinda like sports teams, you know? If you're on one sports team, God help us win this game. And there's somebody on the other team praying the same thing. So who has the best prayer life wins? No, maybe for the mature believer we say this, God, if you'll be glorified by my winning, then let us win. And if you're gonna be glorified by my losing, then let us lose. It doesn't make any difference what happens. I want you to be glorified. I'm gonna vote based on your principles of your word. I'm gonna look and see what you said and I'm gonna vote for the person that I think is closest to your word. But, but my, my hope is not in them. My hope is in your word and the principles of your word and I pray that, that you will be glorified and that you'll do whatever you have to do in this world that we live in so that you are glorified. And that's what Daniel prays in the prayer before us. Listen, prayers that make a difference to God are prayers that make a difference in me. 
And this is the kind of prayer that changes me. Prayer that makes a difference in me is a prayer that begins with God's word and ends with God's glory. What does your word say? And I pray that, but I pray that your glory would shine. God, would you work in our nation so that you're glorified and your name's great? Make us a beacon to the world, a place where the gospel can go forth and the kingdom of heaven reign. That's how we begin to pray for our nation. Let's pray together. Father, this has not been a fun message. It's heavy stuff. It would a whole lot rather have some fireworks and eat a hot dog. But the truth is, our nation is in trouble. And it needs us, your people, because it needs you. And we can come to you as your children on behalf of our nation. And we do that. Because you're a great God, nothing's too big for you, nothing's too hard. We'll never be too far gone, not for you. We confess to you, Lord, that we have sinned and turned our back and that the problems that we face today are of our doing, not yours. And we ask you to be merciful, to forgive us, to restore us. And we want you to do it for your glory, for your testimony, for your namesake. So we join with Daniel as he prayed for his nation to pray the same for ours. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. Thank you.